0: Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts, Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker.
1: I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Apostle
0: easy. Man, you are so wrong for that, man. That is so wrong. That is so wrong. What's going on? What's going on,
1: player?
0: I don't even have nothing to say to that, man. I don't even have anything to say to that, man. God, you threw hey, the man. apostle title in there, man. Good night, hey,
1: hey. man. You know what? I gotta ask you this though, Omaha, you have no idea that this was coming. But you know, you heard it's official, right? You heard What's it's that? official. What's that? That you and I are.
0: Ask. I'm afraid to ask.
1: It's it's official that you and I are not black.
0: Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who you heard. Knew. It's finally it's official. official. Okay, it's official.
1: Well, Joe Biden, the presumptive Democrat nominee for president of the United right. States, officially came out the other day and said that if, if black people have to decide between him You're right. or Trump in November, right. they're right. not
0: black. I'm not black. Looky there. So it's
1: official. It's Who official. knew?
0: What should we do with Listen, it? Do, do we celebrate? Do we mourn? What are we supposed to do with
1: that? You know, I don't I don't know what you're gonna do. Right, right. But it's kind of it's kind of funny. Ever since Biden said that I've had this strange craving for unseasoned chicken. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh my god. Ever since gosh. he said that,
1: <laughs> I've had this I can't explain it. I've just had this strange craving for unseasoned no, chicken with no seasoning. all of a sudden. And definitely no seasoning. Not,
0: and definitely not hot sauce. No hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> no hot sauce, man. You can't do you can't, can't put the hot sauce on it.
1: <laughs> I just had to get that out there, man. Throw you that curve. i let you know that it's official now. It's that We are officially deal. not black.
0: I people, don't know what to I mean do with that.
1: Pe- people thought we are white anyway.
0: Right, right, right. right. It's we're official now. Whatever,
1: whatever we are, we're not black.
0: Wow. So there, you that, that's, there you have that's it.
1: There you have it. That's settled. Throw, throw, <laughs> throw, act, throw Act 1726 out the window. Biden right, just overruled. Right.
0: That's... <laughs> he overruled. He overruled. Wow. <laughs> Craziness, man, all around. It's this. crazy. This stuff it's this crazy, happened, man. Right? Oh, my gosh. Anyway, let me let let me get started with a few announcements, man, just up front. I want to say for all those who even after our intro would like to partner with us, uh, we would love for you to do so. We've been having a lot of requests for people who reach out to us and say, hey, we want to support you guys there. You know, what, what, what kind of cost are you incurring for doing the show and, and that kind of thing? We want you to know that there's a way to do that. But the best way for you to do that is to make yourself uh, to avail yourself of the opportunities that we'll have in the in the show notes in the link. There'll be some links uh, to PayPal and to to other other resources that we have set aside uh, for you to help to come alongside to partner with us. We we're looking for everything from from anything on a monthly basis to partnerships with the show, sponsorships with the show. As well as prayer. And man, we need a lot of it. As you can tell by our intro, we, we definitely need, <laughs> we need prayer more than anything we else. Need, we definitely need prayer more than anything else. So we would love for you to to partner with us. I, I wanna also mention On October 23rd and 24th, uh, there is a conference happening, Lord willing. Right Response Conference is going to be happening October 23rd and 24th in San Diego, California. I want you to make plans to be there. Lord willing, Daryl and I will have the opportunity to meet you there. For more information about that, you can go to rightresponseconference.com. Rightresponseconference.com. And lastly, but definitely not least... Uh, I want to, uh, in fact, Daryl and I spoke before the show started to make sure that we dedicate this show to someone incredibly, incredibly special. Right. Right, Daryl.
1: Indeed, that's correct. You know, we don't do dedications often. I mean, we're coming up now, Omaha, on 100 episodes. I think this episode we're doing today might be episode 98 or 99. Right. So we're getting close to episode 100. And I think out of all the episodes we've done, we've had only one episode. Episode to be dedicated to an individual that was right. young nine year old Daniel that we met at the G three G three conference, G3 conference. Uh, yeah, several yeah, months yeah. ago. Yep. But yep. this episode today, we want to dedicate today's episode to little six year old Celia Jane.
0: Yes, Celia
1: yes. Jane. Right, Omaha. That's
0: right. Six that's year right. old
1: Celia Jane. Cel- Celia Jane is the daughter of a member of the Just Thinking podcast team. Uh, we've got a team behind the scenes to help us do what we do when we when Virgil and I get behind the microphone and little six year old Celia Jane is a huge fan of the show. So so much so that I think I think her mom shared with us uh, one instance uh, during the quarantine that uh, and I, I think her I think Celia Jane's mother is a homeschooler. She homeschool her children, mm-hmm. homeschools her children, if I can get that out. But one day, Celia Jane just walks up to her uh, her mom and just says, hey, mom, can we listen to Vir- Virgil and Darren? Wow. And it was like, you know, I'm like, she's six years old. So wow. anyway, wow. so we want to dedicate this episode to little six year old Celia Jane. You know who you are. We love you. We've not yet Absolutely. met you, but maybe we'll have an opportunity to do that somewhere in the future. So uh
0: so yeah, Celia Jane, make sure your mom keeps it tuned. Right to the Just podcast, right? Absolutely, oh, huh? absolutely. Well, I'm excited about that, man, because more times than not, when when we when we put these shows together, bro, you you, you and I both put put in a, a numbers of hours worth of work to put these yes. shows together, yes. and and more times than not, what I'm hearing from people is that, man, I in fact, uh, one one of my brothers said this this was the show that he listened to. It was like a it was like a seminary level class. Right. Uh, the, the previous yeah. class that we had the, pre- the previous uh, episode that we engaged in. And so we put a lot of content, a lot of resources, a lot of things behind it. And and they a lot of these episodes can serve uh, in the in the homeschool teaching environment. You know, when we're talking Indeed. about Indeed. P- particular topics and subjects that are germane to 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 education. So I'm glad to hear that Miss Celia J is listening. And uh, we definitely appreciate you and de- want to dedicate this one to you.
1: This one goes out to you, little Celia Jane. All right, Omaha, how about we dive into it? Let's do it, man. Well, here we are. By God's grace and mercy, Omaha, yet another episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. But before before we delve into the topic we'll be discussing today, I really feel compelled to mention to our listeners that today's episode comes on the heels of our achieving a rather significant milestone mm-hmm. in the relatively brief history of the Just Thinking Podcast. And with that said, my apostle brother, would you mind... Take just a couple of moments to share with our vast listening audience what that milestone is, please, sir.
0: We—if I had a drum roll, I'd put it here. Maybe we can maybe we can tee that up for uh, for Dwayne in post production. But uh, we we have over five hundred thousand downloads of the Just Thinking podcast in in less than two years, and so uh, I, I, I'm, my thought is that Daryl's probably got the exact figure memorized at this point. But what that does not include is that does not include all the streams. Uh, of the podcast that many listeners engage in. I've talked to a number of my friends and I've never downloaded an episode, but I'll, I'll stream it live. And so we don't get to capture that information. If we did, I, I'd venture to say it's quite a bit more, but we're really, really proud and grateful and incredibly thankful to each and every one of you, to each and every person who downloaded the show, who comments on the show, shares it with friends and family and the like. We really, really, really appreciate it. Anything you want to add, man?
1: Yeah, and I do have that exact number as a matter of fact. So I figured you, you would. Here, it's probably about 21 months uh, that we've been doing this. The number of downloads: five hundred and nine thousand, five hundred and ninety-seven downloads. Wow! Wow! So just just under five hundred and ten thousand downloads in less than two years. So wow. I appreciate you mentioning that, Apostle. And needless to say, I echo your sentiments regarding.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna get you, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna come through the microphone and get you with that Apostle stuff, man. Wait till I see you again, man. I just want to say that I echo
1: your sentiments, man, you know, regarding how appreciative and thankful we are for all our listeners, especially when one considers the fact that the Just Thinking podcast is not what is referred to as a quote unquote short form podcast. Just Thinking is not a short form podcast. A short form podcast is one in which an episode lasts at maximum 20 to 30 minutes. Okay, Mm -hmm. 20 to 30 minutes at the max. In contrast, though, the Just Thinking podcast would be regarded as a long form program as our episodes average approximately 90 minutes in length, Mm -hmm. with some episodes going even longer than that, depending on the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, if I'm not mistaken, Omaha, I think the episode we did on slavery reparations a few months ago, which remains that episode remains one of our most downloaded episodes. Episodes to date with over 15000 downloads. Wow. Uh, I think that episode on slavery reparations was close to two hours long. Matter of fact, it may wow. have gone a little over two hours. Wow. But that episode is an example of what I appreciate most about our listeners because when you reflect on more than 500,000 episode downloads in only 21 months, okay, mm-hmm. our listeners understand that when we approach a topic on this podcast, the goal is not only to deal with the topic biblically but expositionally and exegetically, which by both definition and necessity takes significantly more time to do. Mm -hmm. So it takes significantly more time to unpack a topic expositionally and exegetically. So to all the Just Thinking Podcast listeners around the world, thank you very much. Thank you so much for helping us exceed half a million downloads in less than two years. It it means a lot to virtually me that you would find it worth your time to listen to the content that we provide and Lord willing, we're gonna continue striving to to bring you more biblically sound content that both glorifies God and edifies the body of Christ. Uh, anything you want to add to that, Omaha?
0: I mean, just again to say thank you so much. I'm really appreciative of of, of the direction that that you that you've taken, Daryl, with this. In that, you know, when we got together, we we were being told, "Hey, if you, you need to probably stay under 30 minutes under this," and you said, "Nope, we're gonna do it this way." Um, and, and more times than not, you you have a knack for making decisions that cut against the the the, the cultural norm. And uh, fortunately for us at Just Thinking, those decisions have served us incredibly well. And uh, and, and, it's, and it's all due in, in, in no small part, uh, definitely giving glory to God, but, but to those listeners who've connected with us, who love the content, who share the content, and can't wait for the next episode to come out. So again, I just want to reiterate just a big thanks.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. And You know, Omaha, as we considered... What topic would be a solid one to land on for the episode we're recording today? I suggested that something that aligned well with the episode we did on Christian contentment a few weeks ago mm-hmm. might be beneficial to our listeners, especially during this time in history when believers around the world continue to suffer in so many ways, right? Financially, physically, mentally, and even psychologically as a result of the ongoing COVID 19 quarantine. Mm-hmm. For example, Over the past couple of months, we've seen all kind of economic data telling us how many businesses, especially small businesses, are closing down and filing for bankruptcy. And consequently, how many people are filing for unemployment benefits, having lost their jobs as a result of those businesses, large and small, having closed their doors for good. Uh, But what is being given little to no attention at all are statistics on the number of marriages and families that are breaking up and dissolving as well as increased rates of depression and suicide due to the stress and anxiety this pandemic has wrought in their lives. As people witness their worldly hopes and dreams disappear right before their very eyes. So a case in point, case in point, Dr. Glenn Sullivan in a March, 2020 article for psychology today wrote this quote, unemployment is a well-established risk factor for suicide. In fact, one in three people who die by suicide are unemployed at the time of their deaths. For every one point, for every one point increase in the unemployment rate, the suicide rate tends to increase 0.78 points. One of the silent drivers of our current suicide crisis is the high percentage of working age men not participating in the labor force. Unquote. That was Dr. Glenn Sullivan from, a March 2020 article for Psychology Today. Conversely, Emily Smith, in a March 2020 article for the website page6.com, reported, quote, divorce filings are skyrocketing from quarantine-weary and financially stressed couples, according to top matrimonial attorneys, who are experiencing a 50% rise in inquiries from potential clients according to leading manhattan family law experts some couples forced to spend time together while quarantine in cramped apartments or even in palatial pads haven't fared well during the coronavirus outbreak making matters worse dramatic sways in the financial markets will further spur a wave of wealthy divorces because richer spouses may decide they want out while their net worth dips, potentially helping them avoid larger settlements, legal experts say, unquote. So that was from Emily Smith's article on page six dot com for March 2020. And lastly, the results of a Pew Research study from March 2020 showed that only 22 percent of Americans felt, quote, hopeful about the future, unquote. Hopeful about the future hopeful about the future now i repeated those words omaha quite deliberately because intrinsic within them lay the rationale for why you and i chose the topic we'll be discussing on this episode of the just thinking podcast Mm -hmm. more specifically we're going to broach the topic of hope and where or perhaps more accurately in whom our hope as christians should rest not only in times of trial and adversity, but in times of prosperity as well. So having said all that, we've titled this episode Our Blessed Hope, Our Blessed Hope. And scripturally, we've grounded today's episode in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, which I will proceed to read from, of course, the non-Armenian standard Bible translation. <laughs>
0: I got something for you, bro. You do your thing.
1: (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. That was Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Now, you know, Omaha, as I reflect on those words from the Apostle Paul in the passage I just read, from Titus chapter two, I'm reminded of these words from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who in a sermon he preached on March 15th, 1891, titled Between the Two Appearings, said this, Spurgeon said this, quote, hope what you please, but remember that hope without truth at the bottom of it is an anchor without a hold fast, a groundless hope, Spurgeon said, a groundless hope is a mere delusion, unquote. Spurgeon said that a groundless hope is a mere delusion. Now, when you stop to consider those words from Charles Spurgeon alongside the words of the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter two, that Christians ought to be looking for the, quote unquote, blessed hope. What you come to realize is that ultimately there are only two perspectives Two perspectives that a person can have about life in this world a blessed hope or a groundless hope. Mm. Those are the only two perspectives you can have, Omaha. And every person who is within the sound of my voice is living in one of those two realities. The life you're living right now is based on either a groundless hope or a blessed hope. There is no tertian quid. There is no third way. Thoughts mm. over oh,
0: so Wow, man, that, that's, a, that's a powerful idea that, that you brought forth from uh, the Spurgeon quote, a blessed hope or a groundless hope. And, and again, I'm excited about the fact that we're going to be talking about a blessed hope. I've been spending the past five months in the book of Romans. And in fact, man, it was just this morning that I had the opportunity to unpack Romans chapter five. Now, that's where Paul begins to explain the benefits of our justification, not the least of which is eternal security. But but he says in chapter five, he says this from the from the uh, elect standard version. I'll I'll, uh, (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll add right. (laughs) He said he said this in verse one, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And I I love the part where he talks about in this grace in which we stand, because again, that that speaks to our eternal security as believers, but the eternal hope Mm -hmm. that we have as followers of Christ. Paul then explains that, quote, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings, produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us now now in verse verses two through five of Romans Romans chapter five Paul provides uh, what what basically amounts to to a hope sandwich right as he grounds Mm -hmm. our hope into that which is eternal into God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know we're just getting warmed up on the topic of hope. However, you laid the groundwork for this topic on why it was important for us to consider given given light to what's happening currently in the culture with with additional time as we kind of stay at home what happens in those instances are that we are exposed to the reality of the lives that we've been living. Right. We, we, we're, right. we're, ex- we're exposed to what's really happening as we, as we're in close, ca- close, you know, counters with one another, we're, we're in close proximity to one another. Those things are exposed. And as a result, what begins to be made reality, what begins to be, be very real to us is in whom or in what we have, our hope so it, I think it's mm-hmm. providential man, as 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 we continue to kind of look at these areas of, of need in our lives It's providential that this topic comes up now that we begin to walk through it and and as you mentioned again at the top, some of us are going through situations that are rather confusing. You know, job mm-hmm. loss, uh, different types of situations. And it, it would be easy for us to kind of quote uh, haphazardly Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called mm-hmm. according to his purpose. More times than not, man, what we miss in that is verse 29. And I know you're going to do an in-depth kind of exegetical work on this a bit later. But, but I just I had I, hasten to mention, I wanted to just mention this quickly, is that we need to be we need to realize that all things work together for the good of us in order that we may be conformed into the image of his son. And what Mm -hmm. what that means is that sometimes I need the struggles of life in order to be conformed into the image of his son. So my hope isn't in the circumstance. My hope is not in the circumstance or even that the circumstance will work out as I see fit. But my hope is in the God who predestined that I be conformed into the image of Christ.
1: Excellent point, Omaha. Thanks for that, man. I appreciate that. You know, And as I continue to focus on that Exhortation from the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter two, especially verse 13, that believers ought to be looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. I came to the conclusion that the Christian life fundamentally can be summed up in one word, and that word is hope.
0: That's good. That's real real good.
1: As I was preparing my notes for this episode, I discovered that in the NESB translation, The word hope appears 140 times across 132 verses. The first appearance of the word hope in the Bible is in the Old Testament in chapter one of the book of Ruth. I'm going to read Ruth chapter one, verses 12 and 13. Ruth one, 12 and 13. Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope. If I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the Lord has gone forth against me. That was Ruth chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Now it is clear from this passage that Naomi is in a state of hopelessness, a state of despair and desperation. But to help us understand both the genesis and the degree of Naomi's despair, we need to go back a few verses in chapter one of the book of Ruth. So I will now read verses one through six of that chapter so as to provide some much needed context to why Naomi was in this state of mind. Ruth chapter one, verses one through six. Now, it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. That was Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now the word hope, back in verse 12 of Ruth chapter 1, is a remarkably interesting word in the original Hebrew. It is the word tikvah spelled T-I-Q-V-A-H, Tikvah. That word translated here in verse 12 of Ruth chapter one carries with it the picture of someone being securely tethered to a rope with the confident expectation of being rescued from a perilous situation, okay? In this book, The Purpose of God, an exposition of Ephesians, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul said this, quote, hope is called the anchor of the soul, Hebrews 619, because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish, as if to say that such and such a thing would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made, unquote. That was the late Dr. R.C. Sproul from The Purpose of God, An Exposition of Ephesians. Now, in chapter one of the book of Ruth, Naomi is unarguably in a perilous situation. Uh There's no sugarcoating that reality, not at all. But if ever there was a biblical apologetic against the so-called prosperity gospel, it is the story of Naomi. Naomi was a godly woman who found herself engrossed in what could arguably be described as the worst of predicaments for a woman in those days. Mm -hmm. Through absolutely no fault of her own, Naomi found herself in the midst of a circumstance that has suddenly and unexpectedly changed her life as she wants to do it. Her husband and her two sons, all of whom were the primary means of support for herself as well as her daughter's in law, are dead. And now Ruth, Naomi rather, has no idea where even her next meal may come from. Naomi was totally without hope. Now, if you go back to the definition of the word hope that I gave earlier, Naomi essentially was looking for a rope. She was looking for a lifeline. In Ruth chapter one, verse six, it says that Naomi planned to leave Moab, Not so she could get to the nearest mall to have her hair and nails done or to purchase a new dress or some stilettos so she could feel better about what had just happened to her. No, Naomi's foremost concern was to address one of life's most basic necessities, Mm -hmm. finding something to eat. Ruth chapter one, verse six. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Mm. Listen, listen. the reason Naomi's plight is germane to the topic we're talking about today, Omaha, is that there are people listening to us right now who, not unlike Naomi, are looking for someone to throw them a rope, a lifeline. They're looking for, as Dr. Sproul put it, an anchor, they're searching for answers to questions like, how am I going to feed my family? Or how am I going to make the next rent or mortgage payment or that next car payment or that next utility payment that's coming due? They're looking for some place to tether themselves, but like Naomi, they just can't seem to find a place to latch on to. Wow. wow,
0: that's really, really good. I love the way you, you tied in the situation that Naomi and Ruth were going through. Uh, to where we are current day, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. There are many people, not unlike Naomi, who are looking for answers to basic needs. and it 's easy in those circumstances to get our eyes focused on answers from other sources, right? We're thinking about our employer or a family member or even the government. And I think what we often miss is that when we become dependent upon a particular solution, for having our needs met, we fail to realize that ultimately God is the one responding to our needs through a variety of means. I, I, remember, I remember when I was in the pharmaceutical industry and I went through a process or a round of layoffs. When, when things like that happen, you feel absolutely out of control. And, and what begins to happen is there's, there's that pit in the, in the bottom of your stomach as you're trying to come to grips to what in the world you're going to do next. Now, given in hindsight, I recognize this, man, what this situation exposes more than anything is that I really believe you, you really believe anyone who's in that circumstance. If they're, if they're operating on the same way, they really believe that we we really believe that we are sovereign mm-hmm. and, and, and that we're the ones that are in complete control of our lives. I remember the verse of scripture in, in Deuteronomy eight eighteen, 18, uh, which says you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now Mm -hmm. now I remember, I remember prosperity preachers abusing this verse of scripture to mean that God is our kind of Royal Butler, right? And and that he's, he's responsible for getting us all these monetary things that we selfishly desire. Well, that's not at all what the verse is saying. What the verse is saying is that God is, Is Sovereign and that the very ability that you have to obtain anything comes Mm -hmm. from him. Now, in the New Testament, we have Matthew chapter uh, six, verses twenty five to twenty nine that read this way. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. While while no no one desires to be in a difficult space uh, where our emotions are absolutely frayed, we have to view it as a wonderful opportunity in, in light of these light afflictions, right? To to Amen. observe to observe where and with whom we've placed our blessed hope.
1: Amen, brother. Thank you again for that, Omaha. You know, as I listen to you, especially share your experience in the pharmaceutical industry. I think uh, about Naomi again, and if nothing else, right, Naomi's situation reminds us that believers in God are not exempt from hardship and adversity Mm, in this life. Yep, yep, yep. Matter of fact, according to Scripture, we're not supposed to be exempt. Mm. That reality is what makes the prosperity gospel so dangerous because it is grounded in the mirage that God's people will not suffer. Right, And not only that they will not suffer, but that they should not suffer.
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: I mean, that kind of erroneous theology is completely antithetical to what Scripture teaches us. For example, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, where the Apostle Paul declares unambiguously, he says this, for to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Yeah. Philippians 129. Now, oddly enough, Philippians 129 is one of my favorite Bible verses because it presents a reality that is not often dealt with today within the evangelical church, especially not in America. Right. Where the right. church continues to bow down. The church here in America continues to bow down to pragmatism in an effort to be quote unquote relevant, right? To a world that doesn't want anything to do with the God. To whom the church belongs. Wow! But listen,
0: I digress. I digress, man. That's yeah, another I, I, topic. I, I felt like you were going to go somewhere with that, man. I, I, was, I, I, I was. I was getting ready to warm I, up to heaven, man. I thought, oh, I, he getting ready I, to I want to, man.
1: <laughs> I want to, man. But that's another topic <laughs> for another episode. Okay. But what I want to point out about Philippians one twenty nine is that the word granted. Okay, the word granted there is a word that we need to take particular note of. All right, I want to reread the verse first. Philippians 129, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, the Greek verb granted in that text is the word karizomai, charizomai, C-H-A-R-I-Z-O-M-A-I, charizomai, from which the English word charisma is derived, Now, the word karitsomai means to do a favor to someone, to show oneself to be gracious, kind, and benevolent, to freely give or bestow something to someone as if you were giving them a gift. That's what that word granted means in Philippians 129, the Greek word karitsomai. Now, where am I going with all this? Well, I'm going two places. First, a question, all right, a question. Have you ever stopped to consider, have you ever stopped to consider that the adversity that God providentially allows into your life is actually a kind, gracious, and benevolent gift to you from him? Mm. Have you ever considered that? Most of us, Omaha, never think that way. We never think that way. No. But that's exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians 1:29: that the adversity we encounter in this sinful world is gifted. To us by God himself. Why? Well, something you hit on earlier, Omaha, to conform us into the image of his son. That is the goal of adversity in the life of the Christian, to make us more like Jesus. The 17th century Puritan theologian Thomas Watson, who you know Omaha very well, is my favorite Puritan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thomas Watson, in his book, All Things for Good, puts it this way, quote, All things work for his good, the best and worst things. The most dark, cloudy providences of God have some sunshine in them. What a blessed condition is a true believer in. When he dies, he goes to God. And while he lives, everything shall do him good. Affliction is for his good. What hurt does the fire to the gold? It only purifies it. What hurt does the winnowing fan do to the grain? It only separates the chaff from it. God never uses his staff, but to beat out the dust. Affliction does that, which the word many times will not. It opens the ear to discipline. Job 36.10. That's good. When, when God lays men upon their backs, then they look up to heaven. God's smiting his people is like the musicians striking upon the violin, which makes it put forth a melodious sound. How much good comes to the saints by affliction? Like bruised flowers, when they are pounded and broken, they send forth their sweetest smell. Affliction affliction is a bitter root, Watson says, but it bears sweet fruit, unquote. That was Thomas Watson from All Things for Good. And it was along that same line of thought from Thomas Watson that the 17th century English Puritan, William Bridge, in his book, A Lifting Up for the Downcast, said this. William Bridge said this, quote, a strong Christian will use that for his edification, which seems to be against him. But the weak Christian will use that against himself, which is in truth, for him, unquote. William Bridge. I want to repeat that one. This is William Bridge from his book, A Lifting Up for the Downcast. He said this, a strong Christian will use that for his edification, which seems to be against him. But the weak Christian will use that against himself, which is in truth, for him. The noted 19th century theologian of Old Princeton Seminary, Charles Hodge, said this in his systematic theology. Charles Hodge said this, quote, our duty, privilege, and security are in believing, not in knowing. I want to say that again, Omaha, because that is good stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Charles Hodge in his systematic theology said, our duty, privilege, and security are in believing, not in knowing, in trusting God and not our own understanding. They are to be pitied, Hart says. They are to be pitied who have no more trustworthy teacher than themselves.
0: Wow, 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 wow.
1: Now, my point in quoting these great biblical voices of the past is this. The gospel calls the follower of Christ to adopt and embrace an entirely different view of this world. So different, in fact, that we are to live in it as if we belong to another world altogether, because we do. Amen. Now to drop that point home, Omaha, I want to quote from the noted Puritan theologian Thomas Boston, Thomas Boston, in his book titled Human Nature in its Fourfold State, Human Nature in its Fourfold State. Thomas Boston said this, quote, let the mantle of earthly enjoyments hang loose about you that it may be easily dropped when death comes to take you to another world. Moderate your affections toward your lawful comforts of life, and let not your hearts be too much taken with them. The traveler acts unwisely who suffers himself to be so allured with the conveniences of the inn where he lodges as to make his necessary departure from it grievous. Feed with fear and walk through the world as pilgrims and strangers. For when a Christian's heart is truly weaned from the world, he is prepared for death. And it will be the more easy to him. A heart disengaged, a heart disengaged from the world is a heavenly one. And then we are ready for heaven when our heart is there before us. Did you hear that Omaha Thomas Boston said that we, he says this, I want to read the last sentence one more time. A heart disengaged from the world is a heavenly one. And then are we ready for heaven? But our heart is there before us. Wow. That's cool.
0: Wow. Thoughts wow. on the heart? Just, just that section alone was, was incredibly powerful. I think it, it, it would serve everybody well to, to rewind a bit and walk back through that, make proper notes, and, and allow the words, the theology behind them, really seep into the soul. I know for me, man, just— Getting prepared for this has, has been beneficial for just the, the things that I've been walking through of late, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that are that those who are listening get the get the richest benefit out of it. But the, these comments, man, remind me of the contrast between the kind of Christianity practiced during the 16th, 17th centuries, and the kind of Christianity practiced today. Man, well, come me- on! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Q the mascot. Cue <laughs> the mascot on that one right there, bro. Right, Do right. Do your thing, Omaha. Do your thing,
0: man. Go no, it, it just reminds me of just, it's a different type of Christianity that was practiced in the 16th, 17th, even 18th century than the than the kind of Christianity that we practice today. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. And while the quote that I'm going to reference is not on the topic that we're covering, I, 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 g- give me a little bit of latitude and I'll, I'll make the point. Absolutely. Do you think clear. It? It, it was a it was a it was a quote by by the late Dr. R.C. Sproul. And he was speaking about the doctrine of justification. He's speaking about the doctrine of justification. He said the following, quote, I'm afraid that in the United States of America today, the prevailing doctrine of justification is not justification by faith alone. It's not even justification by good works or by a combination of faith and works. The prevailing notion of justification in our culture today is justification by death. All one has to. Whoa,
1: Hold on a second. Cue the mascot, bro. I hate to interrupt you there, man, but you are so
0: right. Cue I thought this. Yeah, I, I thought this was really. I thought this particular. Oh my God! Was really was really relevant, and 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 I'm, I'm I know it's off topic. But I want to use it to make, a, to make a, 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 a contrasting point. He said that the prevailing notion of justification in our culture today is justification by death. All one has to do to, to be received into the, into the everlasting arms of God is to die. And again, that was a quote from R.C. Sproul's, uh, the late doc, Dr. R.C. Sproul's on the doctrine of justification. Now, what, what Sproul's is acknowledging is that postmodern relativism has captured the hearts of modern day evangelicals so, mm-hmm. so that even, even core doctrines like the doctrine of justification has taken on a drastically different and damnable meaning? And, mm-hmm. and this, this is no less true with every other doctrine of scripture. Each doctrine, in our case, we're talking about, about the doctrine of hope, the doctrine of assurance, right? It, it, it has been shifted to a temporal. Hopelessness elevated by the culture as true hope. So, so this the hope that the, the biblical hope that we have, the biblical examples of hope that we have in Scripture, that attach themselves to Christ and Him crucified, are no longer relevant for our modern day evangelical. We've shifted it from a biblical hope to a temporal hopelessness that we've elevated as true hope. In, in other words, evangelicals have traded hopelessness for hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And we do this with everything. We hope in government by means of social justice. We hope our identity appealing to race or ethnicity as salvific. I mean, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. We should not be surprised when these things fail as they were never intended to bear the weight of hope in the life of the believer. Now, add to this, Daryl, that we're in a culture that is so ridiculously blessed. We're blessed economically, technologically, social, culturally, and even even in education as never before. And it's no wonder why we believe that we have arrived. However, scripture is clear about this too. In Romans chapter one, verse 21, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's important where we place our hope.
1: Amen, brother. Amazing, amazing section there, Omaha. I appreciate that. You know, Mm -hmm. Omaha, as I reflect on the quote that I read earlier from William Bridge, that a strong Christian will use that for his edification, which seems to be against him. But the weak Christian will use that against himself, Mm -hmm. which is in truth for him. Mm -hmm. I was reminded that we evangelical Christians, we love to quote Romans 8.28. Right, right, right. We right. love to quote Romans 8, That's one of our pet verses. Mm-hmm. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. But in quoting that verse, we often fall short of considering what the purpose of God is in causing all things to work together for our good. Yes. But the Apostle Paul makes that purpose perfectly clear. In Romans 8.29, which you alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. the first that, that's the first that comes in case anyone's listening. That's, this is the first that comes immediately after our pet verse. Romans 8.28. Paul says this in Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, Paul's words in Romans 8:29 give us a great definition of the word sanctification. Based on Romans 8:29, sanctification can be defined simply as that process by which believers in Jesus Christ are conformed to his image. That's sanctification, simply put. Adversity is a gift from God for the purpose of making you and me more like Jesus Christ. And when we look at adversity through the lens of what God's purposes are, as opposed to what our own purposes are we can better understand why the apostle james in james chapter one verses two three uh, two through four said this consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing mm. now twice in that passage In James chapter 1, James uses the word endurance, okay? Endurance is translated in the Greek as patient steadfastness. Mm. Patient steadfastness. That's what that word endurance means there in that passage in James 1 in the Greek. It is the same word, okay? It's that same word endurance that is mentioned in a similar exhortation that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 sorry, verses one through three. I'm going to go ahead and revert through verse three. Mm-hmm. Therefore, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance. There's that word again. Yeah. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart Mm -hmm. that was Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 Mm -hmm. to grow weary and lose heart the the phrase that we just read in, in Hebrews 12 3 to grow weary and lose heart is a perfect Description of what a groundless
0: hope looks like. Wow, that's good. That's good.
1: Listen, a primary reason why many believers today feel hopeless is because our hearts and minds are not fixed on Jesus Christ and on the joy that, because of the work that Christ did on the cross, has been set for us, all right, has been set before us, namely our heavenly reward. And that leads me into the second point I want to make which is that God uses the adversity we encounter in this life to point us to the life to come. God uses the adversity we encounter in this life to point us to the life to come. Now to expand on that thought, to expand on that thought, I want to read what is a rather lengthy quote from the great reformer, John Calvin, from his book on the Christian life and the chapter titled on meditating on the future life. This is a rather lengthy quote from John Calvin from On the Christian Life and the chapter on meditating on the future life. Again, this is a lengthy passage, but I think it makes the point so wonderfully that I want to share it with you. So listeners, please hang in there with me for a couple of minutes. Calvin said this, quote, Whatever be the kind of tribulation with which we are afflicted, we should always consider the end of it to be that we may be trained to despise the present and thereby stimulated to aspire to the future life. For since God well knows how strongly we are inclined by nature to a slavish love of this world, in order to prevent us from clinging too strongly to it, he employs the fittest reason for calling us back and shaking off our lethargy. Every one of us, indeed, would be thought to aspire and aim at heavenly immortality during the whole course of his life. For we would be ashamed in no respect to excel the lower animals, whose condition would not be at all inferior to ours, had we not a hope of immortality beyond the grave. Mm. But when you attend to the plans, wishes, and actions of each, you see nothing in them but the earth. Hence, our stupidity, our minds, being dazzled with the glare of wealth, power, and honors, that they can see no farther. Yeah, the heart also, the heart also engrossed with avarice, ambition, and lust, is weighed down and cannot rise above them. In short, the whole soul ensnared by the allurements of the flesh seeks its happiness on the earth. Mm. To meet this disease. To meet this disease, the Lord makes his people sensible of the vanity of the present life by a constant proof of its miseries. Wow. Wow. Amazing. That's powerful. Thus, thus, that they may not promise themselves deep and lasting peace in it. He often allows them to be assailed by war, tumult or rapine or to be disturbed by other injuries that they may not long with too much eagerness after fleeting and fading riches or rest in those which they already possess. He reduces them to want or at least restricts them to a moderate allowance at one time by exile at another by sterility at another by fire or by other means that they may not indulge too complacently in the advantages of married life. He either vexes them by the misconduct of their partners or humbles them by the wickedness of their children or afflicts them by bereavement. Wow.
0: But wait, 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 eat- wait, wait. Just one <laughs> minute. Wait, know, just one minute. Man, he, he, he grabbed deep into the kitchen of everybody's household, man. Calvin, wow.
1: Bro, Calvin went there. Look,
0: look, that was so nice. You got to say that one twice. You got to say that one twice.
1: So again, Calvin said that they may not, that meaning you and me, that they may not indulge too complacently in the advantages of married life. God either vexes them by the misconduct of their partners or humbles them by the wickedness of their children or afflicts them by bereavement. But if in all these things, he is indulgent to them, lest they should either swell with vainglory or be elated with confidence by diseases and dangers. He sets palpably before them how, how unstable and evanescent are all the advantages competent to mortals. We duly profit. We duly profit by the discipline of the cross. When we learn that this life estimated in itself is restless, troubled in numberless ways, wretched, wretched, And plainly, in no respect, happy that what are estimated its blessings are uncertain, fleeting, vain, and vitiated by a great admixture of evil. And Calvin closes with this. From this, we conclude that all we have to seek or hope for here is contest. That when we think of the crown, we must raise our eyes to heaven, for we must hold that our mind never rises seriously to desire and aspire after the future until it has learned to despise the present life. Wow.
0: Wow. Man, we can go go on to glory right there, man. (laughs) (laughs) That was John
1: Calvin from his book book on the Christian life and the chapter titled on meditating on the future life. And I appreciate our listeners for indulging me. For that passage, but I thought it was absolutely necessary to share in order to give us some context about the fleeting hope of this world up against the eternal and everlasting hope of the world to come. Omaha.
0: Just powerful, powerful, powerful. I mean, it, it, it's a, I'm speechless, to be honest with you, but but to think that. That Calvin could speak with such crystal clarity about the condition in which we find ourselves uh, tells you that, that he had his thumb on the very footprint of, 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 the, of the moral condition, of, of the condition of man. I mean, just, just, a, just a powerful, I, I cannot think of a more thorough treatment of our condition in this life and the plan of God for us to long for heaven rather than seeking our home here on earth there's right. there, there's not a th- more thorough treatment it reminds me of first john two fifteen and 16 where scripture t- tells us do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father but is from the world or romans chapter 12 verse 2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by, the, by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world is. Hates you, and all of these serve as the backdrop of biblical instruction for what Calvin articulated so incredibly well. Man, that just was a powerful, powerful section. Uh, that again, I would I, I commend our listeners to go back through and 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 listen, and 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 I, I would even encourage you to to take note, write down what was said, because revisiting that is is we, we talked about this at the top. I'm off, I'm off script here, but we talked about this at, at the top. You know how how our prayer was that this particular episode serves as 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 a bomb for people who b a l m for for folks who listen to it who are really going through difficult times who are really struggling and and have have their hope ha- having had their hope misplaced that they would then mm-hmm. realign themselves rightly mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. true hope that we should have in christ jesus i again I can't think of a quote that 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 better that better dealt with that uh than the one you just did alongside the scripture that we just uh that, that I just laid down. So that's what I've got.
1: You know uh Omaha in Romans chapter eight Romans eight verses twenty-four and twenty-five the apostle Paul says this for in hope we have been saved but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees right but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. That was Romans 8 verses 24 and 25. Paul said that hope that is seen is not hope. Now, intrinsic to those words by the apostle Paul is a key reason why many professing Christians today feel a sense of hopelessness and despair, especially when God allows adversity to disrupt their lives. Now, that's because Contrary to Paul's exhortation in the passage that I just read from Romans 8, verses 24 and 25, what you and I really want, Omaha, see, what we actually want, if we were honest, is to be able to see what it is we're hoping for at the same time we're hoping for it.
0: Right, right, right. (laughs) That's what we really want. Absolutely. That's what we really want. Yep. And,
1: and, And because we cannot see it, we get frustrated. We become doubtful, we grow anxious, we start panicking, and consequently we start making decisions and choices about our life that are totally outside of the word of God, all because we cannot see or experience in our timing exactly what it is we are hoping God will do for us. In other words, we want our faith to become sight right then and there (laughs) as we're in the midst of the trial that God has allowed us to go through, which is for our sanctification. But see, we would all do well to remind ourselves of what a little-known 19th century Presbyterian church elder by the name of Horatio Spafford, S-P-A-F-F-O-R-D. Horatio Spafford confessed in his beloved hymn that we're all familiar with, titled It Is Well With My Soul. Spafford wrote the words to that beloved hymn following a family tragedy in 1873 in which his four daughters, Anna, Margaret Lee, Elizabeth, and Tanetta all died after the ship on which they and more than 300 other passengers had been traveling on its way to France sank in the Atlantic Ocean after colliding with another vessel. In addition to Horatio Spafford's four daughters, 222 other passengers died. Now, Spafford himself was supposed to be aboard that ship. But in God's providence, he was detained in Chicago on business. His wife, Anna, was aboard the ship, but she survived. As the story goes, Anna reportedly said to a fellow survivor, a pastor by the name of Nathaniel Weiss, that this. Anna supposedly said this to Pastor Weiss, quote, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken away from me. Someday I'll understand why, unquote. Now, several days after the shipwreck, Anna Spafford sent a telegram to her husband, Horatio, that read, quote, saved alone, unquote. Horatio Spafford immediately left Chicago to reunite with his wife. It was during that return trip home as they were crossing the Atlantic that the captain of the ship on which they were sailing called Spafford to his cabin to inform him that they were now passing directly over the site where his four daughters had drowned. It was during that voyage that Spafford penned the words to it is well with my soul. And the last verse of that hymn goes like this. Spafford wrote and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so. It is well with my soul. Spafford said, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. Now that word when implies that Spafford understood that the day in which his faith would fully become sight was not yet. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses two and three, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus' words in John 14 is the hope of the Christian summarized in one word, the word there. 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 The blessed hope of the Christian is there with Jesus, not here. Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 all these, that is, all the Old Testament patriarchs that are named in the verses prior to verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been Thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Mm -hmm. But as it is, they desire a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Listen, each of us who, by God's grace, has come to faith in Jesus Christ are strangers and exile on this earth. Consequently, when we we are to be living our lives in this earthly realm as if this world is not our home, because it isn't. Our blessed hope is in that heavenly city that God has prepared for us. A city which, for the time being, anyway, we are looking forward to as if from a distance. Okay? Charles Spurgeon provides us with an excellent illustration of that reality. Spurgeon says this: quote, My horse invariably comes home in less time than he makes the journey out. He pulls the carriage with a hearty goodwill when his face is towards home. Should not I also both suffer and labor the more joyously because my way lies towards heaven and I am on pilgrimage to my father's house, my soul's dear home and resting place. That was Charles Spurgeon. He makes a great point. You see, Omaha, when we live with our hearts and minds fixed on the joy set before us, as Jesus did, we can endure any hardship, any adversity, any trial, any disappointment. But what hinders us from consistently having that kind of mindset is that we're so tethered to this world and its ways and its temptations that all too often we don't give a second thought to the fact that this place is not our home and that we're not to plant our roots too deeply on this earth. Right, right. That's with that in mind that I'll have to quote Charles Spurgeon one more time. Just one final time from Charles Spurgeon. In his sermon titled Landlord and Tenant, Landlord and Tenant, which he preached on January 3rd, 1907, Spurgeon said this, quote, we cling with dreadful tenacity to this poor life and the little which we foolishly call our all. It were well if we could cling with such fast hold to the life that is to come. For that alone is worth clinging to, since it is forever. Whereas this is to be but for a little time, even at the longest. Mm-hmm. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Charles Spurgeon from his sermon
0: "Landlord and Tenant." Thoughts Omaha. Man, there's a bunch of thoughts. There's a lot. There's a lot of ground that you actually covered. I mean, I, I want to go back to when you talked about uh, what what we actually want. What we actually want is to be able to see what it is we're hoping for at the same time while we're hoping for it. I, my mind automatically raced through all the biblical narratives <laughs> where this was the case, beginning with Abram and Sarai, right? Uh, they, oh, they, man, they're,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> right. They, they're, they're, they're promised a, a, a child and, and they make a decision that they're going to figure out how to, how to make this a reality and and we we get a we get a whole a whole nation uh, of people that begin a problem for the people of israel i mean you can you can go through biblical story after biblical story after biblical narrative and and examine where where things went wrong where where there was either a promise of god or and and us desiring to see that come to come to pass, taking matters in our into our own hands and doing something outside of God's will and God's word. Right. Um, I you, I go back to, uh, Horatio Spafford. There's much I want to say about that, but I don't know if you know this, but as we record this, uh, tonight on May, Sunday night, May 24th, I don't know. I'm sure you watched, uh, the, the, uh uh, John MacArthur's uh, sermon this morning. Yes. Uh, yes. But, but our, but our guy, Philip Webb, actually there was a pre-recording of Philip Webb doing a rendition of it is well with my soul. Yes. Yes, and he had, stirring, the,
1: he had a stirring rendition. Uh, Absolutely okay, stirring. Let
0: let me let I'm I'm off script already. So let me just go here. Okay. Do your thing, I, man. Do your I, thing. I, wa- I watched this on the uh you know on the internet, right? I'm I mean I'm I'm I don't know thousands of miles away, and I am I I will say this, bro. I'm trying to figure out how those people remained in their seats when that thing was happening, man. As as he got to tuning up, as the choir behind him added to that, and he's Powerfully singing it as well with my soul. I I I went to black church for a minute. I just oh. <laughs> <laughs> I went to black church and I was standing on my feet when he and I thought now if I was there at you know at at, at Grace Community Church somebody might have ushered me on out. But I was oh, no, bit-
1: no 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 see what would have happened. <laughs> you you wouldn't have gotten ushered out. Somebody would have just handed you one of those Martin Luther King Jr. fans, those handheld fans. <laughs> <that> he- <laughs> Oh wait, baby, it probably would have had Obama's picture on it, but not in my face anymore. Probably would have had Obama. They would have just had you one of those fans, sat you down down gently on that red crushed velvet pew. Right. They'd right. just fan you slowly while you fan yourself, man, and calm you down. <laughs> you you would have you'd have been fine. They wouldn't have escorted you out. You'd have been no. just fine.
0: Okay, okay. Good to know. Good to know, just in case, man. <laughs> just just in case I make my way back there and they do that rendition again. It was Powerful, but it 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 when you said that I remembered. Oh yeah, they did that today, and it it was powerful. It -hmm. is well with my soul. I, I I thought of how modern day evangelicals, however, would 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 rewrite. That hymn, at least the hymn title. I mean, I could go through the whole. <laughs> I thought, I thought about for the purpose of our episode. I thought about going through the whole hymn and rewriting it uh, with with a modern day <laughs> view toward it. But, but I, I I I I refrained. I held myself from doing that. But, but I, but I do know this: that the titles would be very, very different today. It would be, it would be something like this. It would be well with my soul if only the white man would repent of his whiteness. Right,
1: man. Come on, ho ho ho! Cut the mascot. We're gonna cue the mascot right here because we're gonna have church right now. We're about to have some church up in here right now. Right. Go ahead and cue up the mascot. Right. Cue up to him.
0: It, it would be well with my soul if the white man would repent of his whiteness. Or here's an here's another title I thought of. It would be well with my soul if if Trump loses the election, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or or something you alluded to you you alluded mm-hmm. to earlier. It, it would mm-hmm. be well with my soul if only. Blacks stayed black enough to vote for a Democrat. Otherwise, it's not well with my soul. Otherwise, mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm, well with my mm-hmm, soul. Mm-hmm, but, right. Mm-hmm. In, in, in all seriousness, man, the beauty, the beauty, the absolute beauty of our faith is that it can be well with our oh, soul man,
1: Come on bro Come
0: on Come on That's the beauty Of our faith and and, and and it can be well With our soul If our soul's hope Is in Christ Jesus Paul would write man. this In Romans chapter 8 Verses 37-39 through 39. He'd say this Knowing all things We are more Than conquerors through him who loved us. And this, this is more than something you stamp on a t-shirt after you, after you, after you win the the football game or something more than, Mm -hmm. than, than what you say after, after you, you swam the, the, the fastest lap in a, in a pool. This, this has more to do than that. He says this for, I am, I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The power of that verse is that the reality is even in death, we cannot be separated from the love of God. So it is well with our soul because in life and or in death, We have the the, the victory of knowing that we're loved by God uh, and and that we are more than conquerors. This is our hope. This is the hope that enables us to endure.
1: Man, Omaha, you took us to the crib that time, bro. You took us (laughs) back to the crib, bro. I appreciate that, man. You know, I just want to recall our listeners to the passage we read at the very top of this episode in Titus chapter 2, focusing on verse 13 that as believers, we ought to be looking for the blessed hope, Paul calls it, the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. As the psalmist says rhetorically in Psalm 42, verse 5, Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. You see, the psalmist confidently confesses in this passage of scripture that he will again praise God for the help of his presence, he said. And what does the help of God's presence look like? Well, it looks like what the apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit, not your troubled or anxious spirit, Paul says, let your gentle spirit, Your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul exhorts us here in this passage to let your gentle spirit be known to all men that leads me to ask a question though that leads me to this question i want to pose to our listeners omaha when facing adversity and trials in your life what kind of spirit do other people know you by is it a gentle spirit one that is grounded in the presence of the peace of god in your life and the blessed hope of your future reward in heaven Or is it an anxious, complaining, edgy, doubting, worrisome, faithless spirit produced by a hope that is utterly groundless? Wow. Now, I pose those questions against the backdrop of these words from Charles Spurgeon from a sermon he preached titled, I Have Enough. Man, what a title. Mm -hmm. Spurgeon preached that sermon, I Have Enough, on August 11th, 1901. And in that sermon, Spurgeon said this to his congregation, quote, your heart is breaking, you say, with your troubles. It needs, to, it needs more breaking. For if it were broken, the trouble would not break it. Wow. Where our, where our selfishness and our self will come in, there our sorrows begin. What is needed is not the removal of trouble, but the conquest of self. When the grace of God has brought us to sing from our hearts the verse we just sang now, All will be well with us. Father, I wait your daily will. You shall divide my portion still. Hmm. Give me on earth what seems you best till death and heaven reveal the rest. Wow. Unquote. That was Charles Spurgeon from his sermon 1901. I have enough. Hmm. Look, in John 1633, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace mm-hmm. in the world you have tribulation but take courage i have overcome the world that's john sixteen thirty three. now that jesus said in the world meaning in this world in which we currently live you have tribulation that implies that there also exists a world in which there is no tribulation now the greek noun tribulation in john 16 translates to mean a pressing together, a pressing together. It carries the idea that in this world we are constantly having the everyday matters and concerns of life constantly pressing in on us in the way of burdens, afflictions, expectations, and hardships. And it's those things that pressure us that Jesus was alluding to in Matthew chapter six, verse 34, where he said this. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And yet having said that, we need to understand that not a single one of our troubles happens to us apart from God's providential will. As God's word reminds us in Ecclesiastes 7:14, in the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity remember, the Lord has made the one as well as the other. Now, those words in Ecclesiastes 7.14, a verse that regular listeners to the Just and podcast have heard me cite countless times. Right. That, those words remind me of these words from the English Puritan by the name of William Jenkins. That last name is spelled J-E-N-K-Y-N. William Jenkins said this, quote, as the wicked are hurt by the best things, so the godly are bettered by the worst things. Wow. So I'm cool. Wow. William Jacob, as the wicked are hurt by the best things, so the godly are bettered by the worst things. Now, before I throw it back to you, Omaha, I want to quote from the Puritan theologian, John Flavel, John Flavel, F L A V E L. John Flavel from his book, the mysteries of providence said this quote, does God perform all things for his people? Do not distrust him. Then, when new or great difficulties arise, why should you think he who has done so many things for you will now do no more? Surely the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Isaiah one. If anything put a stop to his mercy, it is your iniquities, your distrust mm. and infidelity. How long will it be until you believe him? If a thousand and ten thousand trials and experiences of his tender care, faithfulness, and love will cure this unbelief in you, you have them at hand to do it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly you have been often forced by providence with shame and repentance to retract your rash censures of his care. Mm-hmm. And yet will you fall into the same unbelieving state again? Oh, that you would once learn this great truth, that no man ever lacked that mercy, which he did not lack a heart to trust and wait quietly upon God for. You never yet sought God in vain, except when you sought him vainly. Wow. Unquote. Man, those are some powerfully challenging words. Yeah, they are. Jordan, John Flavel. Any thoughts on that, Omaha?
0: Just a powerful section. It's a reminder for us to recognize the power of our hope in Christ. I I love the previous quote that you gave from William Jenkin, uh, where he said, As the wicked are hurt by the best things, so the godly are bettered. By the worst things I, the, again I, I I love this i, I it 's something that as you quoted those and, and began kind of walking through those it, it reminded me of and I, and I know I, I, sh- I shared this the Heidelberg Catechism on the previous episode but but I, I think it, it 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 definitely serves us well to revisit that that first lord's day question one uh, again and so I'm, I'm going to quote that here the Heidelberg catechism lord's Day one where the question is asked, what is your only comfort in life and in death and the answer is this that i am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior jesus christ he has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyrannic from the tyranny of the devil he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven in mm-hmm. fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Everybody should recognize that that quote from uh, from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Mm-hmm. It goes on to say this: because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And in this this is where our assurance comes from. This is where our hope needs to reside and rest. And, and I, I love the previous section, the folks that you quoted, the names that you quoted, we all need to go back and, and make note of that. And again, I'm, I'm hopeful that this episode serves uh, those who listen well.
1: Amen, brother. You know, Omaha, in his commentary on Psalm 119, verse 19, where David says, I am a stranger on the earth. The English Puritan, Anthony, Farringdon, that's F-A-R-I-N-D-O-N. Anthony Farringdon, who lived from 1596 to 1658, said this, again, commenting on Psalm 119, verse 19, quote, I am a stranger in the earth. David had experience of peace and war, of riches and poverty, of pleasure and woe. He had been a private and public person, a shepherd, a painful calling. A soldier, a bloody trade, a courtier, an honorable slavery, which joins together in one, the Lord and the parasite, the gentleman and the drudge. And he was a king, a glorious name filled up with fears and cares. All these he had passed through and found least rest when he was at the highest, less content on the throne than in the sheepfolds all this he had observed and laid up in his memory and this his confession is an epitome and brief of all and in effect he tells us that whatsoever he had seen in his passage and this his passage whatsoever he had enjoyed yet he found nothing so certain as this that he had found nothing certain nothing that he could abide with or would abide with him, but that he was still as a passenger and stranger in the earth, unquote. The Puritan Thomas Manton, Thomas Manton, M-A-N-T-O-N, said this, quote, a man's greatest care should be for that place where he lives longest. Therefore, eternity should be his scope, unquote. Thomas Manton. You know, uh, Omaha, as we prepare to wrap up this episode of the Just Thinking podcast, I want to take our listeners to what I believe to be two of the most encouraging and uplifting passages to be found in the entire New Testament, particularly as it relates to helping us orient our hearts and minds toward that blessed hope that awaits us all who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The first of those two passages is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 15 through 18. Paul writes this, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Yes. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That was Second Corinthians 4 verses 15 through 18. The second passage I want to touch on mirrors that first passage. This one is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, where the apostle Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ and though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not see him now but believe in him you greatly rejoice with the joy with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls that was the apostle peter in 1 peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9 now i read those passages in light of these words from the commentary on the Old and New Testament by the 17th century English Puritan John Trapp, T-R-A-P-P. This is what John Trapp says in his commentary on the Old and New Testament. Quote, listen closely to this, listeners. John Trapp said, he that rides, he that rides to be crowned, he that rides to be crowned will not think much of a rainy day, unquote. Did you get that, Mm -hmm, mm Omaha? He that rides to be crowned will not think much of a rainy day. Mm -hmm. It is book Comfort and Afflictions, Arthur Walkington Pink. A.W. Pink said this in his book. A.W. said this in Comfort and Afflictions. Quote: Afflictions are light when compared with what we really deserve. They are light when compared with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. But perhaps their real lightness is best seen by comparing them with the weight of glory, which is awaiting us. Wow. But, wow. Wow. You know, Omaha, uh, on the on the Grace to You website at GTY.org, on the Grace to You website at GTY.org is a series of blog articles by John MacArthur on the sovereignty of God as evidence, particularly in the life of Joseph from mm-hmm. the book of Genesis. One of his articles is titled Joseph the precision of God's sovereignty. Joseph the precision of God's sovereignty. And in that article, John MacArthur writes this quote. Joseph's life, Joseph's life is an important reminder for each of us that there are no accidents. As the author of history, the Lord orchestrates all events to bring about his will in triumph. As well as tragedy, he directs our steps to put us where and when he wants us for his sovereign purposes. And while we may not experience the radical ups and downs of Joseph's life, we can rest in the knowledge that even the most insignificant event is a divine appointment in the hands of the Lord. Mm. That was John MacArthur from his article, Joseph, the precision of God's slavery. Wow. Remember, and I'll close with this and then hand it over to you, Omaha, for some closing thoughts. Remember, I just want our listeners to remember. Please remember, brothers and sisters, hope that is seen is not hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it.
0: Over to you, Omaha. What you got? That's that's great stuff, man. I I just want to encourage our listeners in a couple of ways. One, again, as I mentioned at the very top, we were really looking for an opportunity to partner with you. Do so by checking out the links that are in the uh, in the show notes in the description below, and uh, and look for ways that you can partner with us. The best way that you can do that uh, t- to begin with is to continue praying uh, for Daryl, for myself, for our ministry, and the team uh, as we move forward. We would greatly greatly appreciate that. Second thing is to share. This particular episode with everyone that you encounter, I, I really do believe uh, that what we've done in this in this particular episode will be a blessing to a lot of people. It has blessed my life personally as I've walked through this. Uh, the content of it, uh, as well as navigating the issues of of life at this time, I know it will be a blessing to you as you listen. And I'm going to encourage you to share that with someone else. Also, d- don't forget to to uh, to connect with us. The Right Response Conference that's happening October 23rd and 24th in San Diego. And again, Lord willing, we we plan on being there. Uh, for more information, go to the uh, to learn about the conference. Go to Right Response conference.com. And again, man, Daryl, it's always, man, it's, it's a, a privilege and a pleasure, man, to connect with you on these shows. And, and I pray that, uh, that
1: folks are edified by the content that you share here. Amen, brother. Thank you, y'all. I appreciate The it. Just Thinking Podcast, hosted by Daryl Harrison and...